Welcome to the Conducting Artistry podcast, where we discuss ideas, techniques, and processes to elevate your conducting and empower your ensemble. My name's Ingrid Martin, and in this series, we're talking all about repertoire selection and programming. Today, in episode six, we're talking about discernment, how to determine whether a piece is of good quality and whether it's appropriate for our group and our performance. Let's jump into the show. Let's start with discerning artistic excellence. How do we decide whether a piece is good quality or not? Well, there's a number of factors that we need to consider to decide whether we think something is good. Firstly, form. Does the piece have a form? It doesn't necessarily have to be something that you would have put down on the answer of a music theory test, like this is straight up and down ternary form or sonata form, but does it have an overall shape or structure that makes sense? Does the composer use repetition in a way that is interesting or does it just say the same thing over and over again? Does the composer use variation in the way that they have put their form together? Or is it a cut and paste from one section of the music to another? Is there a sense of direction in the music? Do you feel like the music is taking you somewhere that it is going to a particular point in the musical form? And I think probably the best thing to think about when we're looking at the form of a composition and whether it's quality is how the composer deals with expectation. So, Where are the points where the composer meets your expectation? So you're expecting something to happen and then it does. But then where are the moments where they defy your expectation? Because that's really the sign of a great musical work is how the composer balances these two ideas. If everything is exactly as you expect it, the piece is really boring and bland. But if everything is constantly defying your expectation then it can be really hard to follow the piece and become really frustrating as a listener and also as a conductor when you're rehearsing. So looking at how the composer balances meeting or defying expectations. The second thing to look for in terms of artistic excellence is the orchestration and the density of the piece. So how does the composer create variety in terms of solo passages versus twitty scoring? Are there spots where they're using different sections? How do they use independence in the piece? Do they use interesting varieties of colors or are they all the same? Are the clarinets always playing with the trumpets and the saxophones? Or is there some variation in how they score the melodic line or the accompaniment part? Because this is going to end up relating to what obviously the players in your ensemble see on the page. So if you're a horn player and you're playing off beats the whole time, that can become really frustrating and an issue when we get down to a later element we need to consider, which is the level of interest for the ensemble. So is there a variety of density and orchestration within the piece? And again, how does that go back to this idea of meeting or defying expectations? Is every time the melody comes back, it's set in the same way? Or is there some kind of development? The third element to consider is style. So does the piece have a sense of style? And does it have a sense of cohesive style is really important. When perhaps a musical idea returns, is that style consistent? Or if the style changes, is that a deliberate development and change within the piece? The next thing to consider is how does the composer develop their ideas? So 
Is there a melodic idea that is slowly developed throughout the piece or a motive that comes back and recurs throughout the piece? Or is there just this same melody that comes back and it's exactly the same every time? And this might even be within the melody itself. Um, How predictable are the phrases or the note groupings or the pitch choices in that melody? Does it sound sort of trite and really simple? Or is there a sense of wanting to know what's going to happen next or wanting to know what the next note is going to be? The same can be said of harmony. So is the harmonic development obvious and interesting? Now, obviously, there are certain kinds of pieces that have a very predictable melodic structure, for example, a march. So in that case, if we're looking at a piece in that style, you might be looking at, well, I really want to play a classic march. Does this have the deliberate harmonic structure that I know is part of a march piece? Same can be said of rhythmic development. So are the rhythms all the same all the way through or do they gradually develop and change? Does something develop and then come back to its original form like a recapitulation? The next thing to consider is the idiom. So is the piece idiomatic for the ensemble and the players? Is the writing good for the instruments? There are lots of pieces out there, particularly of composers that maybe write more often for orchestra rather than band, that lots of the things to do with the piece are really high quality, interesting melodic ideas, good harmonic development, melodic development, great orchestration, interesting textures, but they don't really understand how to write for a particular instrument. So maybe the clarinet parts are unnecessarily technically difficult and really hard for players to attack. Vientos y Tangos by Michael Gandolfi would be a really good example of this. Or are there instruments going way out of what is considered a practicable range for that instrument? Like are the horns scored really high or the euphonium scored really low? Or are they're just bad choices in terms of um, instruments and orchestration that are going to create problems for your ensemble? Like trumpets and flutes and piccolo and oboe playing pitches that are just always going to be an intonation fight to the death for your ensemble. The next point is, does the music have musical validity? Does it have something emotional to say or express? Is it moving? And this is something that you can start to discern by listening to recordings of the piece. And again, and we've talked about this in a previous episode, making sure that you listen to more than just one recording of the piece when you're selecting repertoire so that you can get an idea of some different possible interpretations of the work and not get stuck robotically in just one version of the piece. And that sort of limiting what you think the piece is capable of or what is the musical potential of the piece. So is it saying something to you personally? Because ultimately that's going to come back to how are you able to conduct it and how are you able to draw musical expression from the players? On that point, one thing to look at more specifically is are the phrases musically intelligent and interesting? And again, we keep returning to this idea of predictability. So if something is just predictable, four bar phrase, four bar phrase, eight bar phrase, four bar phrase over and over again, that might not necessarily be indicating that the piece is of high quality. 
Now, that said, this is not a, a hard and fast rule. You can go back and look at great composers who are really working within that convention of four and eight bar phrases that have written marvelous, highly well-known pieces that we all love. But just something for you to consider when you're thinking about, is this work good or not? The next element to think about is appeal and interest. And this is for three different groups of people, for the players, for the audience, and for you. So let's talk first of all about interest for the players. Is it going to be interesting for them to play? If you select this piece, you're going to be spending hours of rehearsal time playing this music and your players are hopefully going to be spending hours practicing this music as well. That's not to say that the music necessarily has to be immediately loved by every kid in the band. So we all have had experiences, maybe it's at school ourselves or at college of a piece that when we first encountered it, it was a little bit impenetrable. It was hard to understand. We didn't really like it. We couldn't get our heads around it. And then as the rehearsal process went on, or maybe even beyond that first time that you ever played that piece, we have gradually come to know the piece, understand the piece better and develop an appreciation for it. For me, Hindemith Symphony would be a great example. When I first encountered that piece, I found it hard to wrap my head around and didn't really get it. Just this is when I was listening to recordings, hadn't studied or hadn't played it. And then fast forward to years later when I had played some Hindemith solo repertoire and other music by Hindemith when I came to play the symphony I thought wow this is such an awesome piece but if I had just based all of my impressions of that work on that first encounter I would have thought that Hindemith symphony was not worth my time not worth my interest so it might not be immediately interesting to players but is there going to be something of interest to the players in this piece And this comes back to what we were talking about before in terms of idiom. So are the parts well written for the instrument? That's really going to determine whether the players are interested in the work or not. If they have a piece and they think that their part is just dumb or badly written, then they are not going to get on board and invest in that particular piece of music. On the other hand, there might be pieces as well that The players can actually understand on an intellectual level. Maybe it's, um, you know, a more atonal work or maybe it's something by Schoenberg or something that's really kind of pushing the envelope of what they know and feel comfortable with. And it might be that they, they really understand the piece and appreciate it on an intellectual level. They don't totally love playing it, but they kind of get it conceptually. Now, we're just going to take a quick sidebar here to talk about the tastes of players and whether we should play music that players don't like. I think that saying I'm not going to play a piece because the players don't like it is rubbish and it's a rubbish excuse. If you think that something is a really great piece of music and you think that it has merit based on all the things that we're talking about in today's episode and that it is going to take a little while, but you think that the kids are going to get it by the end of this rehearsal process at this particular point in time with this particular band, then you should go ahead and do that piece. The repertoire that we select is like the musical diet of an ensemble. 
And we know that kids really like junk food. They love going to McDonald's. And probably the younger the student is or the child is, you know, if they could have McDonald's and junk food and fries and soda and candy every day, they would. But we know as adults that that is not healthy for them. And it's our job and our responsibility to train them to understand what good nutrition is and what are healthier choices for them. And it's the same with music. So if we just pander to our ensemble and say, oh, I'm just going to play pieces that the kids like, we are really shirking our responsibility as educators in terms of what our job is in training discernment in the players themselves. My dream as a teacher is that when students leave my ensemble, they can determine what a quality piece is. There's a really great quote from Jim Keane, former director of bands at the University of Illinois. Uh, And to paraphrase Jim Keane, he said, beware of playing really great music with your ensemble because once they're exposed to it, they will demand nothing less. And I think that that's a great place to be. If you have trained and conducted and taught an ensemble and now they won't put up with bad quality repertoire, then I think we've done our jobs as conductors and teachers. The next group that we need to consider in terms of appeal and interest is the audience. So depending on what the context of our performance is, you know, the moms and dads who are going to be in the audience in our school band hall or the adjudicators that are going to be sitting behind a desk at the festival that we're playing at or the crowd in the park that are playing during our local fair, whatever the case may be. We need to think about, is it interesting to listen to? And we're going to obviously get a sense of this when we listen to the pieces ourselves, when we're going through the selection process. So is the music interesting to listen to, to the audience? And again, if you've gone through all of the things we talked about in terms of form and orchestration and style and development, and if that all ticks the boxes for you, then most likely it's going to be interesting to the audience as well but you could consider playing it for someone who you know is not musically trained or who is um, representative of the people that are in your typical audience and saying like what do you think of this piece be really interesting for you to get some feedback from someone outside as to what they think the piece sounds like and how do they connect with it and what does it say and communicate to them the final group who's appeal and interest we have to consider is ourselves so if you don't like the piece don't pick it just like this is going to be taking up the time of our students it's going to be taking up our time as well we're going to be studying the score we're going to be researching the background of the piece we're going to spend hours planning rehearsals and trying to really dig into this work and we're going to be hearing it every day that you have a rehearsal so if you don't believe in the piece or you don't like it that should be an automatic no from you. Now, again, the caveat to that would be, okay, maybe this piece is something that on your initial impressions, you might not like it, but it's something that you're going to grow to love over multiple exposures to that piece. But if it's not a piece that you believe in or that you think has um, merit or is interesting, don't program that piece. So all of this 
discernment that we're trying to train thinking about the different musical elements that are going to make a composition good is really reliant on our own musical training and our own musical exposure. And I would really encourage you to do a couple of things that are going to expand your musical palette and through expanding your musical palette is going to help you work out what you think is good and what you think is not so good. So one is making time to go to concerts. We live really busy lives as band directors. It can be super hard even just to get out of school before it's dark. Um, we all hate those days when we arrive at school and it's dark and then we leave school and it's dark again. But making time to go to concerts is really going to open up your world, both in terms of listening to different composers and repertoire, just being inspired by great music making, which sometimes we can feel a little isolated from and we can get a bit jaded about what's going on based on the sounds that we're getting back in front of us in rehearsal. And going to like a great concert or even a bad concert can really help reset and recalibrate our musical understanding and also just contextualize what we're doing when you go to a concert every performer on that stage has had a music teacher and that kind of helps validate what we've done if you can see some really excellent performer and go wow at one point in time they had a music teacher like me how can I inspire my students to get to something like that The next thing is to listen outside of band music. When we're stuck in a rehearsal hall all day, it can be so easy to just get kind of drowned in this world of woodwind brass percussion sounds. So make sure that you're listening to music with strings and pianos and guitars and rock music and world music instruments. There's just such a huge palette of sound that is out there it's kind of endless and listening beyond band music is also going to help really refine your taste of what you think is high quality the next thing is to listen to music of other instruments so I kind of talked about listening outside of band music but listen to solo performers as well again we've got even if you can't get out to a concert in your town jump on YouTube. The Berlin Philharmonic Digital Concert Hall is an incredible resource. Relatively speaking, it's a small investment of your money. You know, it doesn't cost more than the price of a couple of tickets to the symphony and you can watch the entire year of the Berlin Philharmonic's live streamed concerts and have access to their entire archive. You can watch the most amazing conductors and soloists and performers through that and get really great inspiration for what is excellent artistic quality. The final thing to elevate and develop your own musical and artistic discernment is to listen outside of classical music. Um, You know, we can listen beyond band, but, you know, we've just been talking about the Berlin Phil. Go listen to some rap music that'll get us contextualized into what our students are listening to go listen to some hip-hop listen to some top 40 because even if you think that this music is of lower quality that's going to help you when you go back to band music and if you hear something that is really formulaic and unoriginal and boring like maybe you think some pop song is then 
you know, that's going to help inform your decision when you're selecting music for your ensemble. So we've talked about discerning musical excellence and artistic merit. The next thing for us to talk about is appropriateness. And if you can decide whether a piece of music is excellent and it's appropriate, then that's going to be a winner for your group. So when we're talking about appropriateness, we're talking about that on three levels. So is it appropriate for the group? Is it appropriate for the occasion? And is it appropriate for the audience? So when we talk about is it appropriate for the group, we want to know, does it work for students of this age level and maturity level? So there might be a piece that your students can play with technical ease and facility and they're just going to smash it, but they don't actually understand the musical content of the piece. A great example of this would be Looks Arumque by Eric Whittaker. Looks really simple on the page, half notes and whole notes for the most part. But musically, this requires a lot of maturity and sophisticated playing in terms of intonation and listening and being able to shape the phrase beyond what's on the page. So thinking about is it appropriate for the age and maturity of the group? This could also relate to if there are themes or there's a program or a story behind the work that may be more suitable for a more mature group than a younger group. The next is ability. Is the piece appropriate for the ability level of your group? And you can listen to earlier episodes in this series about the 80-20 rule and the eight common problems caused by repertoire selection for more about Uh, my opinion on selecting music that's at the right difficulty level for your group. But basically make sure that the ensemble is going to be able to play that piece itself and within the context of the program that you are performing for the entire concert. And the ability level has got to do with not just the group overall, but like at an individual level, can the individuals play their part, especially if there are solos at a section level, Do you have the depth required for, you know, a piece that has three clarinet parts, for example, and then at the whole band level as well in terms of their ensemble skills? The third thing to consider in terms of appropriateness is the instrumentation. So, again, like we just mentioned, what are the numbers of parts, especially in terms of split parts within sections, and do you have the players to cover this? How many percussion parts are there? This is really important. It's no good you thinking, I love Mazama by Jay Chataway, awesome piece, go and buy all the score and parts and then realize that you need 13 players to cover every part in that piece and you have three. Okay, there's no way that you can actually realize that work and it doesn't, it doesn't sound right at all. On the other end of the scale, Um, You might pick Seal Lullaby by Eric Whittaker or Australian Upcountry Tune. But if you pick those, you have to know that they only have one percussion part each. And so if you have eight percussionists, you have to think about what you're going to do with those players during the time that you're rehearsing that piece, or you're going to have some serious classroom management issues on your hands. The next thing to consider in terms of appropriateness is solos. So if the piece has any solos, do you have players that not only can technically play those solos, but psychologically are ready to play a solo in front of the group. We've all known students that are 
just incredible in what they do with their instrument for their level, but they're really shy or they're really nervous and maybe giving a solo to that student, particularly in a high stakes performance, like a festival or a competition might be really intimidating and actually do damage to that student. So thinking about whether the solos are appropriate for the group. Uh, Again, are there any key colors instruments there that you need that maybe you don't have is also worth considering. Finally, the next thing to consider for the group is any equipment or resources that are required by the piece. And this is why you've got to go and look at the whole score. You don't want to program a piece, get everything and then realize, oh, I don't have a flexitone and the flexitone has got a massive solo in the piece, like Mazama we just mentioned, or Godzilla Eats Las Vegas. The other thing, if there is a piece of equipment that is unusual that you require for that work, and let's say that you do go out and purchase it, you need to know also how to teach the percussionist how to play that instrument. So that if they're meeting that instrument for the first time, you can confidently go up to the back of the band and say, this is how you play the flexitone. This is what you're going to do with this instrument. So the equipment thing is not just about having this stuff on hand, but also you being able to enable the players to actually use it properly. So all those things are vital to consider about whether the piece is appropriate for your group. Let's talk now about whether it's appropriate for the occasion. So some things to consider are the venue. Is it going to be a really loud, boomy venue? Is it a very, very dry venue like a recording studio? And also how different is that venue from your rehearsal room? There might be a beautiful, slow, lyrical work that you're using to practice balance and blend and beautiful phrasing. And playing that in a really dry venue could be really disheartening for your ensemble because it's not going to sound anything like what it did in maybe your band hall that had a bit of a warmer acoustic. Same thing on the flip side, you might say, oh, I'm going to play a really rambunctious, fast, up-tempo concert opener. But if you're in a really washy venue, a lot of the work that you've done on articulation and rhythm and speed is not actually going to be coming out in the venue. Similarly, the venue might have some kind of other connotation, like if it's uh, a church, there might be certain music that you don't want to play in a church. The next thing to consider is the event of the occasion. So the music that you're going to play at the football game might not be the same music that you're going to play in your concert in the fancy concert hall in the middle of town. Maybe you've got a baseball game and take me out to the ball game is completely appropriate, but you're not going to play that at a memorial service. The music that we play at graduation might not be the music that we're going to play at the state fair, for example. So is the music appropriate to the event that it's going to be played at? And with that in mind, the final thing to consider in terms of the occasion is the length of the piece of music. So you might be playing a concert that is all of the bands from your school or your district, or maybe it's a shared concert with a community band. And your part of the program might only be a small chunk of the concert. So thinking about for this occasion, I'm playing a 30 minute program and is this going to be the music I'm choosing going to be appropriate for 
that particular context. So maybe you, you do only have 20 minutes on stage. You may not want to play two 10-minute works because that's not going to give necessarily much variety in your rehearsal time leading up to that performance. So is it appropriate to the venue, the event, and is the length of work appropriate for those two things? The final thing to think about in terms of appropriateness is the audience. So is our audience musically knowledgeable or not? Or are they musically trained or not? Do they know the group? Is it just mums and dads who completely love all the kids in the band? Or is it a general public audience that don't know anything about your ensemble? Are they going to be there for just a short time? Or what if mum and dad have four kids in the band program and they're sitting through an entire three-hour concert? All of these things are important to consider in terms of the appropriateness of the music that we select. And if you're working in a bigger context, how does your little bit of the puzzle fit into the bigger picture? When we combine the idea of excellence and appropriateness, we then end up with a whole bunch of different possibilities for a piece. It could be excellent and appropriate, best possible outcome. It could be excellent but inappropriate. Keep it on your list, but maybe not for this time. It could be appropriate and not excellent. So again, you probably, maybe you'll choose this piece, but it would be better to choose something that has more artistic value. Or it could be inappropriate and not excellent. Ditch it and don't keep any record of this piece, except to maybe decide I don't want to ever play this piece. So you can just go through that checklist of excellent and appropriate for a piece and then determine where you want to put it if you have a personal repertoire list. Everything that we've talked about today is in the show notes. So make sure that you head on over to conductingartistry.com forward slash podcast and you can download the list of the criteria we talked about for determining excellence and the things to consider in terms of appropriateness for your group. So we've got two action steps for you to do today that are going to take you further along your journey of selecting great music for your ensemble. Action step number one is to jump online and find the score of a piece that you know nothing about, that you have never seen before. And what you're going to do is sit with the show notes and go down the list and determine whether you think this piece is of excellent artistic merit. Action step number two, I want you to imagine a concert that you know is on your calendar for this year, could be anything, and you're going to now take that piece that you found in action step number one that you've determined uh, hopefully it is of high quality. If you decide it's not of high quality, go pick another piece or a piece that you already know and go through the checklist of appropriateness. So is it appropriate for the group? Is it appropriate for the occasion? And is it appropriate for the audience? As always, thanks for listening. Make sure that you head over to conductingartistry.com if you haven't already and sign up for our mailing lists where you can get regular updates on all of our blog posts about everything to do with conducting band and repertoire. You can like our Facebook page, Conducting Artistry, and be sure to follow us on Instagram at Conducting Artistry. Happy rehearsing.